This podcast is brought to you by Intel vPro. The U.S. launched new strikes in the Middle East over the weekend. That's where we'll start the show today. I'm Hannah Jewell, and this is The Seven from The Washington Post. It's Monday, February 5th. Let's get you caught up with today's seven stories. On Friday, the U.S. hit targets in Iraq and Syria that it says are used by Iranian forces and affiliates. The strikes killed dozens of fighters and several civilians, according to the Iraqi government and groups on the ground. The strikes were in retaliation for an attack on a U.S. base in Jordan that killed three Americans last week. The Biden administration has blamed that attack on Iran-linked militants. The U.S. also launched more strikes against Houthi militants in Yemen over the weekend. The Houthis have been attacking ships in the Red Sea since November in protest of Israel's military campaign in Gaza. Yesterday, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan spoke about the strikes to ABC News. This was the beginning of of our response. There will be more steps. Some of those steps will be seen. Some may not be seen. But there will be more action taken to respond to the death of the tragic death of the three brave U.S. service members. And we cannot rule out that there will be further attacks from Iranian-backed militias in Iraq and Syria or from the Houthis. Number two, senators released a border security bill that would also provide funding for Ukraine. Yesterday, Senate negotiators announced this bipartisan deal aimed at deterring migrants from crossing the southern border. It would close loopholes in the asylum process and give the president power to effectively shut down the border when attempted crossings are high. It also includes billions of dollars in funding for Ukraine and Israel. If it passes, it would be the first major action taken by Congress on immigration in decades. But that is far from guaranteed. House Speaker Mike Johnson already declared it dead on arrival in the chamber. And former President Donald Trump opposes the deal. He's made the border a core campaign issue. Number three, an atmospheric river is slamming California. An atmospheric river is a plume of moisture from the tropics, which dumps precipitation as heavy rain or snow. The one hitting California right now will linger over the state through tomorrow, unleashing torrential rain over already saturated soils. It's a serious and potentially deadly storm and has led to evacuation orders and warnings. It's bringing the risk of serious and widespread flash flooding, damaging winds, isolated tornadoes, and prolific mountain snow. Strong winds yesterday downed trees onto homes and cars, and hundreds of thousands of people lost power. Places that have previously been burned by wildfires are at risk of mudslides. Areas farther south in California towards San Diego and farther east may not see the heaviest rain until later today into tomorrow. Number four, Fonnie Willis admitted to a relationship with a prosecutor in Trump's Georgia case. In a court filing on Friday, the Fulton County District Attorney said she had a personal relationship with a lawyer she picked to lead the election interference investigation. But she denied allegations from Trump's allies that the relationship created a conflict of interest or that she financially benefited from it. A hearing is set for February 15th, and it may decide the future of the case against Trump. His allies want Willis removed from the case. But Willis has asked for that hearing to be canceled and said her personal life should not be used by Trump to evade justice. Trump and 18 others have been charged over their attempts to reverse his 2020 election loss in Georgia. Number 5. 
Number five. Taylor Swift made history at last night's Grammy Awards. Swift won Album of the Year for Midnights, becoming the first artist to win the prize four times. Previously, she was tied with Frank Sinatra, Stevie Wonder, and Paul Simon, who have each won it three times. And that arguably wasn't even Swift's biggest moment of the night. She used one of her acceptance speeches to tell us about her new album. I want to say thank you to the fans by telling you a secret that I've been keeping from you for the last two years, which is that my brand new album comes out April 19th. It's called, <laughs> it's called The Tortured Poets Department. I'm going to go and post the cover right now backstage. Thank you. I love you. Also last night, the legendary singer-songwriter Joni Mitchell gave her first ever performance at the Grammys. And one of the best performances of the night came from Tracy Chapman and Luke Combs, who gave a rousing rendition of Fast Car. You got a fast car. I want to get you anywhere. Maybe we can make a deal. Maybe together we can get somewhere. Invasive ants are challenging lion populations in Kenya. That's number six. The king of the jungle has an unlikely new enemy, ants that are smaller than a grain of rice. Big-headed ants were probably brought to Kenya in the early 2000s by global shipping and international tourism. And since then, researchers say they've set off an ecological chain reaction that is changing the hunting strategies and diet of lions. The invasive ants kill native acacia ants, which protect trees from elephants and other herbivores. Those ants swarm into animals' nostrils and bite them when they try to eat the trees. But as the big-headed ants have moved in, elephants have been able to knock down and eat more trees. Fewer trees mean lions have less cover to hunt for their primary prey, zebras. A study published last month found that lions are less likely to kill zebras in uncovered areas. Instead, they've been relying on a new food source, African buffalo. While zebras usually run away when they spot lions, buffalo often fight back. So having the cover of trees is less important before the hunt. And at number seven, scientists are starting to worry about the moon shrinking. The moon has been shriveling like a raisin for hundreds of millions of years. But now, scientists say that the moon's decreasing circumference is leading to shallow moonquakes. And the reason this may be a problem for humans is because some seismic activity is near the lunar south pole. And that's where NASA wants to send humans to return to the moon, possibly in 2027. Moonquakes are different from earthquakes in a few key ways. They can last much longer on the moon, sometimes for hours. And because of the moon's weaker gravity, a quake will also feel much stronger than on Earth. So even a moderate amount of shaking could knock you off your feet. The quakes aren't that frequent, so it would be unlikely for one to disrupt a moon landing. Although, if you were an astronaut landing on the moon, you definitely wouldn't want to be caught up in a lunar landslide. The real threat could be to longer-term settlements or structures on the moon. Scientists say we need to know more about this seismic activity to make an accurate hazard assessment. And the best way to learn more about the moon is to land on it. That's the show for today. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, a great way to support our work is through a subscription to The Washington Post. Right now, you can get an all-access digital subscription for just $4 every four weeks. That gets you unlimited access on the web and in our apps to all of the Post stories, including everything you need to know about the hazards of building a house on the moon. 
Subscribe to The Post by going to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is brought to you by Intel vPro. AI PCs built for business with Intel Core Ultra Processors and Intel vPro are optimized for hundreds of AI apps and tools to boost user productivity, all with AI-powered threat detection. Learn more at intel.com slash itheroes.